and welcome to Locked on White Sox. I am your host, Herb Lawrence. I appreciate all the emails I've been getting, the subscriptions, the ratings, everything that you have been doing for Locked on White Sox. We really appreciate your patronage. We have a great show for you. It is Beef Loaf from the 108. If you are a White Sox fan, of course you know who Beef Loaf is. I'll sit down and talk with him in just a moment. But a little housekeeping first. The White Sox have officially waived Yomer Sanchez. He has cleared waivers, so he is a free agent. I am not too sad about this move. I know we all love Yomer, the former Carlos Sanchez. But for $6 million and a fifth infielder, I'm really good. If they can find a way to get him in at a price that is cheaper than that, more power to them, but otherwise, Yomer, bon voyage. Thank you for the years. Thank you for the last. Thank you for the celebrations you had for the White Sox. Secondly, I got to pay off what I said before. I thought that by the time I did this podcast that the White Sox were going to sign another big-time free agent, specifically Zach Wheeler. They have not done that as yet. So, for repentance... I want you, the White Sox fan, the person that's listening right now, send in your suggestion of what I must do to rectify, to have a pendants, have a punishment for myself for predicting something that was going to happen that didn't happen. LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. Send it in there. Send it into the Locked On White Sox Twitter at LockedOnSocks. What your suggestion is the punishment of being wrong. Because you know if I was right, I was going to shout from the rooftops. But since I'm wrong, I'm a man of my word, I will let you decide which pittance I will do. Uh, One of the punishments I will have to do will be type out the words that Zach Wheeler will be a White Sox before I do this next podcast, which is this podcast, and then eat those words. If that's a good enough punishment for you guys, I'll do it. So send in your suggestions to LockedOnSocks at gmail.com or at LockedOnSocks on Twitter. After the break, let's get right to it. Beef Loaf from the 108 will join me. Thank you for listening to Locked On White Sox. Guys, I don't know if you know this, but away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash locked on and use the promo code locked on during checkout. Listening on the go right now? If you can't visit away right now, you can find this and all other offers on locked on sponsors at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. It is Herb Lawrence here on Locked On White Sox, and we have a special guest in studio. Like I told you before the break, he is one of the members of From the 108. You love him, you hear him. It is my man, Beef Loaf. Beef Loaf, how you doing, man? Herb, thanks so much for having me here. I'm doing fantastic. I'm looking forward to the holiday. Mm-hmm. Gonna eat a bunch of turkey. Actually, um, in in my household, mm-hmm. both uh, with my folks and then with my in-laws, I'm the one who cooks the turkey. Wow. So I, I got uh, I got turkey tips. We do those off the air though. But I, I'm uh, I'm very excited 
to be here. You all right, brining? Uh, yeah, definitely brining. And another key, you got to get a lot of butter under up underneath the skin. You, yeah. you got to do it, you know, keep it moist. Yeah, exactly. You don't like a dry turkey, but he's not here for turkey tips. <laughs> he is here to talk White Sox. If you're a White Sox fan, you know from the 108, the guys sit in that section to have a great time. Now, firstly, let's get let's get it all down. Who are the people that make up from the 108? Okay, so the, the main characters in From the 108 are, um, are our fearless leader, My Sox Summer. Uh, he's sort of the origin guy, even though he wasn't originally sitting in Section 108 to start. Uh, and then my brother, Treasy E, um, he holds it down uh, hosting our podcast and uh, also hosts the uh, Sunday Soak, which is the number one hot tub video in Chicago sports. We do that every Sunday after uh, or on a White Sox homestand. Even more than, uh, who is it, uh, Mike Sturk, a Barstool Carl? Correct. We, we've been, and, and I, I love more hot tub content out on the internet as opposed to less, but we've been doing the Sunday Soak since 2017, and that actually takes place right in my backyard. Um, we also have a couple brand ambassadors. That's uh, Uncle Rico, Wally Money, and Aloha Mr. Hand, so i got to give them a shout-out real quick, too. Indeed. I, I met Peter Hand uh, one time, uh, well, multiple times at Sox games, but yeah, he uh, I t- interact with him on Twitter a lot. I think uh, my Sox Summer also was there a couple times I came down and visited. I usually like to ask people who I'm interviewing, especially Sox fans. I became a Sox fan just by happenstance. I didn't like the Cubs. I was, uh, am still kind of a uh, opposite guy. I don't like to go with what the popular people do. How would you become a White Sox fan? What is your origin story as a White Sox fan? Um, well, I heard that I love that you're a contrarian because we, uh, the one awaiters are also contrarians to some degree. But so the way I became a White Sox fan is uh, Treasy and I were brothers, as I know before. Uh, we grew up in Bridgeport. Yeah. And uh, this was a long, long time ago when there maybe weren't a lot of Hispanics in Bridgeport. So we had our little community that we all lived around. And, uh, you know, uh, sometimes Hispanics, we live with a much broader group of family. Yes. And my great aunt, who uh, who lived in the apartment building underneath my grandparents, they would sit out on the stoop and there'd be late night conversations. And she always had a little radio on and we're listening to the White Sox for as long as I can remember. So as kids, we would run up from playing it or tag or whatever, and we'd, we'd ask our great aunt, oh, what's the score? What's going on? And she always had a beat on what was going on in the game. And so that's sort of how people in our family got in with the White Sox. And since then, um, a lot of us, I mean, we're, um, Treasy and I are full season ticket holders, but a lot of my cousins and such uh, have partial plans, 40 game plans, whatever. So it uh, the roots run deep with uh, White Sox fandom in our family. And I always wondered, like, you're around my age, and it seems like the White Sox most of our lifetimes have been kind of poor. 2005 is a is a beacon, a shining light. It was great. It was my favorite day of all time. But how do we and how do you stay White Sox fan? How do you stay so loyal to a team that doesn't give you the same loyalty back? Uh, that's an interesting question. I think I think some of it has to do with you know for, for certain sports. I fall in and out of love with someone like the Bears, mm-hmm. and it gets tough because in a 16 game season, a bad season is like only three victory parties or four. But in 162 games, there's a lot of uh, upswings. There's a lot of good moments, fun moments, things you can hang your hat on. Is like, oh, I had a great time. And and particularly going to the ballpark, uh, the ballpark experience and the White Sox Twitter group at, at large, it's so much fun to go hang out, walking through lot B. You always run into people you know inside the stadium when you're walking around. You see people all the time. Um, so I, I think there's just an atmosphere there, uh, at least in the ballpark, that keeps it fun. And I think baseball as a whole, having those little pop-ups, those 
little, oh, we had we had a four-game winning streak, or this guy that I was really hoping would play well is starting to play well. I think those sorts of things, at least for me, keep me coming back to the White Sox. Favorite item at U.S. Cellular are guaranteed right now for eating. Oh, food item. That's tough. I mean, I, I think I still, I don't eat very much at the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, I live extremely close. I live like three blocks from the park. Um, I would say my probably my go-to is either bacon on a stick or I'll be traditional and just go with uh, nachos. I always asked my guys who sat down here, it was uh, Steven Nelson and Lawrence so far before you, what organization that you look at from the outside and say, if the White Sox could be that organization, I would be happy. Herb, I think, I, I, if I remember correctly, when you had Steven Nelson on, yeah. he said the Tampa Rays. He did. And I would lean sort of in that direction, but I'm going to go a, a little bit to the right on that. I'm going to go with the Oakland Athletics. And okay. The reason why is I like the brain trust in Oakland. As I, as we started reading the, the Astro Balls and the MVP machines of the world, everything was really hyper-focused on data, but not a lot of it was on reading the marketplace and figuring out, okay, what is everyone doing? I'm going to do the opposite because it's going to be easier for me, cheaper for me. And the Oakland Athletics have always done that. And they, and, and it starts with Billy Bean, but, but that organization has always sort of looked at, okay, what can we do cheaply? And then we're going to start executing that. Where, where can we get an advantage there? And I just imagine if they had double the payroll, which would probably be about a White Sox payroll, how good our team would be. Now, reading your article from the 108 Today, well, we're recording this uh, for you guys listening on a Tuesday. It'll probably come out tomorrow or Thursday. I was shocked. Not I shouldn't be shocked, but how in-depth your knowledge and how much you broke down the Abreu deal, positives, negatives. Your background by reading the article is that you're an accountant. How'd you get into that industry? <laughs> it was uh, it was an easy choice for me. I, I, I went to high school locally. I went to De La Salle. Yeah. Uh, actually, I, I think a few De La Salle uh, producers have come through. Ethan Shaw went there. Yeah. Ethan Shaw was actually in my class. Was he? So I know him. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I haven't seen him in ages. But yeah, so so I went to De La Salle. I, uh, I, I played basketball there. In, in school, I was good at math. And when I got to college, I just looked at, okay, what job could you get that is math-based that if I'm totally mediocre, totally average at it, I could have an okay living and then an accountant checked the box. So that's what I went for. I was just shocked that the in-depth breakdown and you took it into your industry and you said things that I wasn't expecting. I actually came around to say, you know what? Fine. The deal is fine. Like initially I was like, fuck, what are we doing here? Like the 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 qualifying offer, I was like, fine. And then when they signed him to three years for what, 50 some million dollars? Yeah, 50. Yep. And you broke it down and you guys who are listening right now, I won't give everything to you. So you got to go and search that out from the 108. Was it at Mr. Delicious? It's at Mr. Delicious 13. 13. Right. So go and check his uh, Twitter account out for the actual article. But give them little snippets of what you said about Jose Abreu and his contract coming through. So the initial thought process was anytime I see something out in the Twitterverse where I see a lot of smart people going in one direction on something and really going in hard, which was the, the White Sox shouldn't have done this. They totally overpaid. This is a bad move. I know there's a hint of truth there, but I've got to dig in a little further. I just always don't trust it. I, I prefer it if the smart people are arguing with each other. Then I know there's, okay, we're, we're kind of mixing in here. What I wanted to look at was, truthfully, what Jose Abreu's value might be going forward. I used a couple different methods. I used historical hitters that were kind of fun, that had put up his type of that production. That was really great. Between 27 and 32. 
too, so you can you can see like who uh, everyone knows who Mark Grace. Is. I was surprised about the Cecil Cooper thing. <laughs> the, he fell off a table. Cecil oh my Cooper goodness, was, was rough, and and Mo Vaughn was rough after he had a, sort of a similar hitting period as, as Jose Abreu, and then you had I think it was Mark Grace and Derek Lee. Well, anyway, you're just comparing those guys. So instead of just taking the we know Jose Abreu is in decline, um, you know, a narrative that yes. was sort of out there, which is correct. You know, you forget that these slugger type guys, and this happened with Paul Canerco too. So anyone who watched this, Paulie would have a bad year, then he would bounce back and have a great year. And I think you could expect Jose Abreu to probably have one real good year among these next three. Will he continue to decline? Probably. But I wanted to just check and see, okay, totally three for 50, is he going to be worth it? The other thing I wanted to look at and talk about the accounting pieces. It was pointed out on Twitter by Josh Nelson from uh, Sox Machine that the five million upfront part of the the deal was a signing bonus, and it will be sort of like from an accounting standpoint, be pushed into 2019, which means the White Sox will get to spend that five million this year mm-hmm. and, and with the with the current salary, which is important for a team of that size payroll, especially in a year where they're going to have some people roll off next year. And so, yes, they have arbit- uh, arbitration raises in 20. 2021, but they're also going to lose like the Alex Colomay salaries of the world. So some of that stuff's going to flip off. And, and one thing that's important to remember is when you have a bunch of stakeholders, like the Sox do, everyone looks at Jerry and thinks, well, Jerry's the owner. Jerry doesn't own the whole thing, and there's lots of other people that are involved with that. It's easier to show them, okay, well, we came in on budget last year, then we're $10 million over budget on payroll this year. And that's sort of some of the creative accounting that the White Sox look like they were doing. So when you shave off that five and you shave off the four of deferred money at the end, you're looking more at a deal of about three and forty one, which feels more palatable Very just much thinking so. about it, right? I mean yes. it's like they are giving them the retirement money at the end. It's like, okay, well you won't be playing anymore, but you you know, you get here's a million bucks just for being a great guy kind of thing. So it, it just it after taking a look at it from those directions it feels more palatable. Now some of the um, some of the people that were uh, sort of against him uh, getting extended for three years, and you talked about the qualifying offer, they're comfortable with that. It was uh, it was the risk that he totally falls apart, that he's completely useless after that one year because you can bail on the deal. Yes, and so I did try to bake that in there as well. It's like yes, this is going to happen some of the time where a hitter like this will just be toast. He'll be finished. He'll come out this year and you'll be like, oh, Jose Abreu isn't he's no good anymore and you so you got to kind of bake that into the the thought process as well so uh, there's a bunch of graphs and, and charts and stuff I, I ask people to go and read it I make fun of some stuff too so it's just, it stays light at least yeah and so moving on to a guy that might be taking some of his uh, reps at first base the White Sox signed Yasmani Grandal firstly how do you feel about that as a fan and then as the accountant how was the deal <laughs> as far as team-wide, uh, MLB-wide, how does that work? Did the White Sox overpay to get Yasmani Grandal? Which, I don't mind if they did. <laughs> no, I was thrilled. When I when I was sitting at my desk, I got an email from a colleague in another office. He's like, oh, what do you think about Yasmani Grandal and the White Sox? And I hadn't seen the, the update yet. And I'm like, I mean, that would be great. He fills all these holes or whatever. <laughs> and then I went to Twitter and I'm like, whoa, this is real. This, this guy was asking me how I actually felt about it. No, it's great. It, it actually, it's such a perfect move for the White Sox. 
sucks because you're putting that high on-base percentage hitter, left-handed hitter, into the catcher's spot. That's a hard place to find and put those stats. So just lobbing them in there, first off, is huge. Secondarily is the pitch framing. And some people feel pitch framing, maybe the widely available metrics for pitch framing might not nail it perfectly because you see a guy like Grandal sort of coming in for a salary that the stat nerds might think is too low. Mm-hmm. But let's say you believe that regardless, he still snatches strikes. And it's still going to make it easier for some of the pitchers that sort of live on the edge or guys like, in. and I know he's one of your guys that you wanted to acquire this offseason, a guy like Dallas Keuchel mm-hmm. would be great with Yasmani Grandal. So I think he opens up the White Sox ability to not only grab some pitchers on the periphery that could really benefit this team, but it also will show other free agents, look, we're committed to this thing. We put some money out there. So now I, I thought it was a great deal from all perspectives. And I want to know, we all love Yomer. We're big time fans of what his antics are, and he's earned his way from the Carlos he used to be to the Yomer he is now into our hearts. I didn't have a problem with the White Sox non-tendering him or actually just waiving him um, put him on waivers. For $6 million of fifth infielder, I'm good. What are your thoughts on Yomer not being a White Sox, maybe in 2020? I feel pretty much the same. I mean, uh, he provides a certain type of service, but the White Sox don't have the roster to absorb what he does. They still, right now, don't have enough offense uh, to really say, okay, we're going to dedicate one spot on here where you're you're just strictly a, a, a glove first infielder. They've already got a couple of, they've got Adam Engel on this roster who's glove first, no hit, right? They've got Larry Garcia who doesn't hit much better than Yomer either. You can't have all three of those guys. You've got it. So, cut the guy who's most expensive. It it, it makes business sense to me. Replace him with a guy. Part of the problem with a guy like Yomer is, yeah, he's a good glove player and everything, but when you need to use that guy off the bench, let's say you have to pinch hit or something. Let's say you need a big spot where you need a, a, a guy with different handedness to hit off of a reliever. He can't help you with any of that stuff he's you know he's muted in that part of his game he's really a glove only guy let's get to your shopping list you've heard what i've wanted how are the players that you think would make the White Sox in 2020 a competitive team in the AL Central? I'm going to go in a different direction. I, 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 I'm I a big Hinge and Ryu fan. Oh, man. But I like your Keiko suggestion, too. And I think they, they need some pitching. But I'm going to go away from that. And I'm going to go away from right field for a second because it's a big need. But in my opinion... They can lay back in the cut. There's a lot of guys that are the same. Mm-hmm. So go, just wait a little bit and get a guy who is the same as all those other guys, but maybe pay a little bit less. Before you go, so you're saying like Puig and uh, Zunas are like the same guy? And, uh, they're the same. They all do a little something different, but they're all about the same level of, you know, like I, I think Castellanos is the best bat out of the group. Yeah. And and maybe, uh, assuming he, he doesn't age too badly, I think Cole Calhoun's probably the best glove. To me, they're all similar type values. You know? okay. Maybe. Maybe you're going to get Cassianos is the youngest, so yes. he may have the most upside. He's, you know, that would be my guess, but he'll probably also be the most expensive. So I would just wait, just see and see what you can end up carving out. My some of my biggest concerns with this team has always been, uh, especially this happened in 2015 and 16. If anyone got hurt, 
that bench was such trash that you knew the season was over. Austin Jackson got hurt in 2016. Oh, my goodness. And J.B. Shuck was out there, and, and Teresa and I were watching him play center fielder because in, in 108, we got a great vantage point. Mm-hmm. And we're like, this man does not know how to play the outfield. I can't, so I can't stomach watching that. I need competent bat or competent. And so we got a competent glove and angle. If I, my shopping list, I would want to get a left-handed bench bat. I love Eric Thames. That'd probably be my number one if I'm getting that type of player. I would like someone like Lonnie Chisenhall if, if his knees are okay. I would be backup infielder. We already have Lurie Garcia who can cover everything. I'd go get Brad Miller. I'd get another, a guy who can hit. I want What I want the White Sox to do is spend three to seven million dollars on a couple spots on the bench and make sure that when someone goes down or something happens, a competent major leaguer is playing. No offense to Danny Mendick, but I don't want to see Danny Mendick for two months. You I don't want to see, see Ryan Cordell? I do not want to see Ryan Cordell. I don't even, truth be told, I don't even want to see that much Adam Engel, even though I know he's going to be here. Mm-hmm. I would like a, a sort of competent bench players if possible. I mean, you're speaking to the <laughs> choir, man. I mean, I, I wouldn't even think about that. Like the, the White Sox, if you brought up J.B. Shuck, like we last year, the White Sox at right field were so far behind in war. And so same thing with D.H. Like, just give me a firstly, a guy who can give me regular market level bottom replacement level talent zero yes and then let's go up from there like <laughs> like you're just Austin Jackson nothing great shakes right. play the field get you a couple hits hit get you know maybe on base 320 fine that's fine that's you know, fine. fine something fine something palatable that if something goes wrong it's gonna be okay yeah, you just know, like, like, trust that guy just like top heavy you don't be top heavy and then everything else is trash like I, I am right. so tired of seeing the Cordell's and even though you guys are there, your guy, Palka, he's back in he's back in AAA. That's he's, fine. He's in Charlotte. He, he, maybe, hey, if maybe that man up. just turns into what he is and the guy he was a couple years ago, fine. Bring him up. Bring a left-handed DH every once in a while. But I, I don't want that bottom level, we are not good at developing talent stuff that's coming up from the minor leagues. Now, you don't want necessarily any of these right fielders early. Is that because you're waiting to spend money next year on a big fish? like Mookie Betts? Not necessarily. I mean, I, I've been more solely focused on this year. I prefer they spend a bunch of money on a starting pitcher. So I, I, I like, like I said, I like Ryu. I like Wheeler just fine. I mean, the White Sox need to strike out more people. They're, they they were poor on defense last year, but it was it was multiplied because they, they, the pitchers let them put the ball in play more than almost any other team. I think, the, I think the Seattle Mariners in the AL were the only team that had sort of a lower strikeout rate. It's like, yes, you have a bad defense. And everyone's hitting it at that defense. You know, so it really makes it tough. What are your thoughts on 2020? My thoughts, of course, is this is a competing year. Are you still in this is a rebuilding year and 2021 is the actual competing year? No, I, I agree. This this should be a competing year. I like Herb, what's your expectations for wins? What would what what minimum amount of wins would make you happy? Five hundred. So if we get to eighty one and eighty one, I'm in. Like compete. See, that would be like my competing is you make it to September. You're still in it, either the wild card hunt or the AL Central crown. You fall off in September because teams are superior. Fine, because it's a chasm. Twenty eight games is a lot to make up from them and the Twins. The Twins will come back a little bit. Will you make up that that margin? And I think the Indians, if they're gonna sell off on uh, Lindor, fine. We're gonna catch them. I don't know who's running their club. I don't know who their GM is. I know it used to be Shapiro. I know he's like is he 
like the head head guy and he has a guy underneath him now. Yeah. But it's it's just mind boggling. You get a guy that has that talent. It's like us giving up on Yohan Mankata, you know, two one year before his uh, walk year or two years before his walk year. We're gonna run that some bitch out and try every single year <laughs> to sign him to an extension. Whatever he wants. I and this is what it seems like with Yasmani Grandal that Rick went to his representatives like, What do you want? and he gave him the money. And that's why he signed early November. That's what we should be doing. That's what teams should be doing with their superstars. If the White Sox are not to sign Yohan Mankata for a long term deal like they signed Timmy, shame on them. I'm I'm sure they're doing it because that man's a superstar. What are your thoughts on Yohan Mankata and his future going forward? I mean, Treasy uh, and I did a YouTube video last night where we were we were basically the the thesis of it was don't be afraid of trading some of these prospects. Don't be afraid of trading Andrew Vaughn or whoever. But the main basis for me is right now you got four years of Yohan Mankata. This is where you need to try your hardest to compete. You got four years of Yohan Mankata. You got four years of Lucas Giolito. Oh, and guess what? You just signed Yasmani Grandal for those four years. This is your window right now. You got to compete right now, and and Yohan Mankata is your best player. It's got to be built around him. Your thoughts on next year? They tried to sell us on. Hilary Jimenez needs more defensive work. So at the beginning of the year, we're going to send him down to Charlotte and get that necessary work. I am sure they're trying to work out an extension, just like they tried to do with Eloy Jimenez for Luis Robert. What are your thoughts on the White Sox if they don't come to an extension uh, before the regular season? What are your thoughts on bringing him up and doing the six years instead of the seven years? I mean, I would totally love it, but I would have loved it more had it happened last August. So so when you get to the point now where you're going to be opening the season, I don't really like the idea of bringing him up if you're going to if if the if if it's up and you're just going to wait the ten days. Let's just wait the ten days, and you know what? I'll be mad about it, but. I'll, I'll be happier about it at the end, you know. But but right now they could really use him. But you bring up the point where making up that 28 games is a lot, and the, maybe the quarter win that he could provide in that first week or two of the season probably ain't enough to fill that in. You spoke exactly what I thought about Eloy Jimenez and Louis Robert. I, I don't. Is it Robert Rob Robert? What do you say? I don't know. I mean, uh, when he comes up, I'm gonna ask him. <laughs> so you'll have to ask him, or maybe uh, I don't speak Spanish. Maybe though. yeah. <laughs> I don't. Unfortunately, I don't either. I'm kind of embarrassed. No, being a uh, being a Mexican from the South Side, not speaking Spanish is terrible. I shouldn't even admit this on the air. But <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I I want to see Luis Robert play so bad. I want to watch him. And like I was saying, sitting in section 108, we have the best vantage point to watch the center fielder chase down fly balls. But it's too late now. We got to wait those days. Yeah, wasting those at bats down there at Charlotte or not even coming up at all when he was available. I saw what Jimenez did this year where that first month struggling learning major league pitchers and major league pitchers knowing like hey slider 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 and then eventually he laid off or if you left that some bitch over he'll serve that shit to right so that's the learning process and then you saw the hey I got this league and the ascension by Jimenez can we get that from last year like they should have learned their lesson and said we yeah we tried to sign him to extension but six years six plus two months will be fine for Louis Robert let's get him 
up and running. So in April or in March, at the end of March, when we go to Kansas City, he's kicking ass immediately. He's ready, right? And and you bring up a great point, Herb, about how long it took Eloy to develop and how long it took him to figure out what pitchers were trying to do to him. He was considered an elite bat. Yes. Someone who he'll hit immediately. Luis Robert, everything I've read about him, great uh, great athlete, plus plus power, speed, all this stuff. But the one thing that might be the problem is making a lot of contact early. He might have adjustments to make because what I've read is that like his approach isn't as refined as Eloy's. He's a much better athlete though, so he just could take advantage of the fact that in AAA and AA, well, I'm a better athlete. I'll just that's how I'll adjust. And the concern is maybe it, that's going to be a lot harder when he gets to the majors. I would have loved to see two months last this past season, 2019, of him adjusting. If he struggled, so what? Didn't matter. It's going to matter in 2020. Who is your favorite White Sox player of all time? I got to guess because of the number you're on your Twitter, but who is your favorite? Oh, that's that's really tough. I mean, um, if, if someone my age, it's almost uniformly Frank Thomas. I mean, mm-hmm. just growing up watching Frank Thomas, and even the, the 2005 year when he's kind of hurt or whatever, I was at a couple games where he homered. He had like 12 home runs. That yeah, year. He, did, he, he had the highest. I'm pretty sure he had the highest OPS on the team. Now, he didn't play a lot of games, but mm-hmm. so it's it's got to be Frank Thomas. Uh, he He's a, he gets the nod for me. If it's not him, it's Harold Baines. Because when I was a small kid and you'd go to the ballpark, the Sox had nothing, and it was Harold. And then if Harold didn't play that day, you were devastated. Like if Harold got one of his four days off for the season, you're like, oh fuck, this sucks. You know, <laughs> Dad, you got to take me to a different game. You know. So I I finally remember Harold. I finally remember yelling for Harold when he'd come up in a big spot. Seems like he always produced in those big spots. So it's got to be one of those two guys are my all-time favorite. What's the favorite? thing you love about going to guaranteed rate is there uh the camaraderie you have with your 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 brothers at their 108 is there something that they do at the white Sox that they don't do other ballparks that you can't get just sitting at home watching on television um, yeah, I think it has something to do with the camaraderie and something to do with, you know, the White Sox fan base. We're, um, we're a little bit punk rock. We're a little bit counterculture. When you, when you, when you work in a big organization, I, I used to work for a, a publicly traded REIT a while ago, and there was maybe 100 people in our office, and there were like six White Sox fans. You know, you're, you're outnumbered basically everywhere you're at, so when you get in the ballpark together, there's a sort of unity. There's a sort of, and, and the thing is, too, like, White Sox fans love to talk about their team. So when we're sitting down the 108 and people come down through and they want to say hi or whatever, I always ask people, what do you think of the team right now? What you know, what would you do? And and people always have answers. People are always thinking critically about their team. So I kind of like that. I know the bandwagon fans are coming and I'm I'm happy for them to come. I'll, I'll hand them pom-poms when they show up. <laughs> but uh you know I kind of like the 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 when you see someone on the street and they got the socks hat on you like you give the little nod to each other like yeah we're in the club we're in the special club and most of the rest of Chicago Chicago's probably not in it, but you know there, you, you sort of feel that camaraderie with the other White Sox fans. Speaking of, you're in the 108 section, so what do you think about the new Goose Island section that's right next to you guys? Um, I, it's great. I, I, I wish I wish uh, we could flip the little fence and the uh, and the water they put there. They put that there specifically because they know Teresi can't swim and they're going to try to drown him. <laughs> it's so, like a moat. It's like a moat. You know, we, we we like to say we we're very friendly with the Goose Island people and and uh, they. 
they actually uh, they power our Sunday soak, which is a uh, a hot tub video that we do for my backyard on Sundays of uh, White Sox homestands. We're no, we're very friendly with them, but uh, yeah, it's it's great. I mean, they have TVs down there. Uh, there's places to plug in your phone. There's even an area up at the top that you don't have to pay to get into that people can just stand around underneath the goose. So I think it's cool that they've got sort of a, a nice little like party area somewhere in the ballpark. We do like to say though. We made the neighborhood popular, and then they came in and gentrified right next to us. Okay? <laughs> they built the condos right next to us when, when we, you know, we we made the popular club, and then they built up right next to us. At least they're not kicking you guys out. That's that's true. <laughs> no, we're very friendly with them. Great people. I uh, love the Goose Island folks. And I've had this experience myself. I've gone down and saw you guys a couple of times, and you guys are very welcoming, talking good sports, and it's like uh, we're a family down there. Do you mind if people like they read your column on one, from the 108? They see you on Twitter. Do you? Mind Mind if folks come down and say, hey, I saw you uh, on Twitter. I just want to come and say what's up. Not only do I not mind, we want them to. We we, I, we fucking love it. I mean, part of the, the fun of being at a baseball game, baseball games are slow. Mm-hmm. The fun part is sitting next to your friend or maybe the person you just met and either talking about the game or talking about some other mundane bullshit that you just think is fun. You know, like barroom talk. Just argue over some stupid shit. That, you know, like one night we were arguing about, you know, who, who was hotter, uh, Belinda Carlisle or Suzanne. Hoffs, you know, like weird shit just comes up. Belinda Carlisle. <laughs> That's the side I'm on. Yes. But uh, you know what? It was pretty even. There was a okay. pretty even breakdown amongst the group. But that's what's fun about a baseball game is people come through and start talking, and you just end up talking to people that you don't even know going into the day, and you kind of make little friends in that area, in that senior area. So no, we love it. We love people to come down. It's kind of funny when we started doing this 108 thing, and, and it started getting a little bit of um, a little bit of traction. You know, my wife came out to. A game and during that game there probably three different sets of people came down there to take pictures of us and she's like I can't believe people want to come down here and take a picture with you idiots so (laughs) (laughs) you know it's like fun there's the camaraderie of just like going to the game and being friends with all these folks on Twitter I know the story but tell the folks out there how you guys adopted Daniel Palka (laughs) that's a tough one so uh, um, my sex summer could probably tell it better than me Okay. But uh, Daniel Palka just sort of started being in our section, and we started loving him. And then he sent out a specific tweet mentioning us and mentioning how you got to be 108ing when you're in the 108. And so we connected a little bit, and then uh, My Sox Summer is like, okay, well, let's get him some T-shirts. We we have gear and stuff that we make and we sell. And he's like, let's get him some T-shirts. And it was after a game that they had won, and he went out on Twitter and f- filmed like a little video, and he showed the like the three T-shirts. From you know that we had just given him, it's like, mm-hmm. oh shit, man, Daniel fucking loves us. Yeah. <laughs> so was, I mean, it was this past year was very difficult for us as he was going through all that stuff. I'm sure it was more difficult for him. Yes. But we were so sad. Like we would get ready to record our podcast or even just go into a game. It's like, we, please, Daniel, just get a hit today. Get yourself off of this. You know, it's so sad for the poor guy. And just for the folks who don't know, what is 108ing? 108ing. Um, most people would say 108 is watching the White Sox or a sporting event, etc. And you have a cocktail with you, a beer or whatever, and taking a picture of it and putting it up on Twitter. We would like to say that 108ing is a lifestyle. It does not have to be alcohol. could just be anywhere where you're having fun, enjoying yourself, friends or otherwise, and just feeling good. 
that's a great philosophy and uh, I don't have any more for you I appreciate I mean just the positive attitude that you guys and you guys have welcomed me a person that you know is cantankerous known as a pessimistic White Sox fan and you've never really you know shunned me which I should be sometimes and I should be slapped on my PPO every once in a while because I don't <laughs> I step out of my place every once in a while but I appreciate you guys welcoming me putting me in the 108 tournament by the way is that coming back this year that is absolutely coming back this year and you had a good performance you had a tough first round I, matchup that's tough you're, you're, you're riding up your, your stock is up right now I've got the bracket together mm-hmm. um, we don't make uh, all of our critical decisions right now but we do line it up now because you have sort of a languid period in Sox Twitter yes. now the season's not going on so we're kind of lined up that is coming back this year your, your standing and seating is increasing that's all I'll say I don't want to give away too many spoilers I just want to know White Sox Dave is probably one of the top seeds. Who else do we got as a top seed around that area? I know it's still not set, but I would say White Sox Dave. White Sox Dave will be way up there. Uh, right Sox, who's Tom oh, Fornelli. Oh, Tom Fornelli, yeah, he, of course. He had a great 100%. showing last year. He'll be way up there. Um, there's, a, there's a couple guys on the fan side that uh, that did really well last year. Because we have, we have celebrity, what we call celebrity, sort of media or like top-end blog sections. We have our 108 section. I'll probably be the number one seed since I won the bracket last year. But we have people like uh, Kobe's Burner. Yeah, Kobe's Burner. I, uh, I, I rode him to the Final Four. That's right. Uh, Bennett Carroll. Some of those guys will probably pop up as high seeds on the, uh, the fan side of the bracket. So look for that. Go on Twitter right now from the 108. Follow that. Follow Beefloaf, which is at Mr. Delicious 13. Follow Cherizy E. Which is that's at Cherizy. Cherizy E. Uh, at Cherizy? At Cherizy. That's, that's right. it. My Sock Summer is that. Uh, yeah. Aloha Mr. Han also there. Um, anybody money. else you want to shout out? Wally, Wally Money. Yeah, yeah, make sure you so, give Wally Money a follow. That's so, the crew. And if you're at a White Sox game, definitely go over there and see the boys because they're a fun group. Thank you very much, Mr. Beef Loaf. Herb, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'll come back anytime. Thank you, Beef Loaf. It was a great time with you. We appreciate you coming in right before the holiday. Have a happy Thanksgiving. If you're listening at a later time, appreciate you guys going back and listening to all the episodes. This is episode 7. Episode 1 through 6 are just as good as this one. Thank you for your patronage. Rate, listen, subscribe. All that good stuff. Locked on socks at Twitter. Locked on socks at gmail.com to email me or just my personal email, which is Eckerwall23. We appreciate all you guys listening to Locked on White Socks.